This is the Actors Room. Welcome back, everybody. Episode number 69. Hey, oh, Back to the Future, part deux. The second part of this series. Sit back, relax, open up a beverage, enjoy the show. was asked by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale to write a song for the film. However, the two Bobs weren't thrilled with the first song that Huey brought back to them. They didn't like it. After explaining to Lewis what they were hoping for, Huey came back with The Power of Love. And then the Bobs told him they needed one more song. And that's where you get Back in Time. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Jeff Tarowski, and this is The Actor's Room, part two of Back to the Future. Hope everybody out there is having a great day, a great night. Welcome back. We'll continue going forward. 
discussing this great film, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, and again, and again, further on down the road, when I do future episodes, future, 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 back to the future, my favorite film of all time. I know The Godfather is right up there, but Back to the Future, I would consider number one. And I said last episode how much I truly appreciate it, love it, and how it entertains me. Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis was big in the 80s. His story is a great story as well. It Do some research on Huey Lewis. He, he was sort of like a renegade sort of figure in his household. I think he grew up kind of rich. Don't quote me on any of this because I haven't done 100% research on Huey Lewis. But from what I get or heard about Huey was he went out and moved and lived in England, Europe, did this whole European thing. Instead of going to college, he chose to just travel and learn being on the streets and picking up things here and there. And sort of fell into music. And what a talent Huey Lewis was. And how someone like a Robert Zemeckis and a Bob Gale can approach someone like Lewis. And come to him with an idea about a movie. This is our film. I'm sure they gave him the script. Read it. Get familiar with it. uh, Get into the characters, the dialogue. And come back to us. With a song that represents the movie. We want to use your song as the driving force in putting it out there. You hear that song, you go back to the future. We want you to just grab the audience, make it pop. Huey Lewis went to work, came back. They didn't like the first one. I wonder what it was. Didn't look that up. I wonder if it's out there that you can hear this song. I doubt it. I'm sure Huey Lewis went, fine, fuck it, flush it. Did. Came back with another song. Power of Love. They loved that one. Said, hey, Huey. What a name, by the way. Huey? <laughs> Isn't that like... Uh, a What is that? Uh, Daffy Duck, Donald Duck had nephews. Huey and Dewey and Louie or something like that. Who the hell would name their kid Huey? Huey Lewis's parents, maybe. Don't know if that's a stage name or if his name is actually Huey. Huey. <laughs> Give us one more song, bro. Power of Love. Good. Thank you. One more. Back in time. I like even better than Power of Love. Great soundtrack. I listened to the Back to the Future soundtrack every now and then. It's on YouTube. You can hear like the whole soundtrack, I think, on YouTube if you don't have the album. Come on, people. This came out in 1985. If you don't have the album, there's something wrong with you. I don't, but I should. Moving on. Soundtrack. Very good. You got a song from Eric Clampton in there, right? You got a song from Lindsey Buckingham. One of my favorites on the soundtrack. Uh, It's played when Marty is awoken by Doc Brown. His phone rings at, what, 1 a.m. to remind him to come to Twin Pines Mall. He gets that wake-up call. (laughs) How strange is it, by the way, that, excuse me, 
for my phlegm. Fucking gross. I mean, it's not gross, but it's just annoying. Anyway, how weird is it that what is Marty, 16, 17, and his best friend is some old, wire-haired, white-haired, weird guy, scientist, Doc Brown. Very strange part in the script, writing that and making that make sense. That a 17-year-old kid is going to be best friends with some scientist guy. How many of you out there, when you were 17, had a best friend that was a scientist? And asking you to sneak out of your house (laughs) at like 1 o'clock in the morning and meet him in the middle of the night at a mall. Hmm. And don't forget to bring your video camera. <laughs> hey Whoa! <laughs> By the way, after doing extensive, deep, and I maybe went a bit too deep in my research of this film, going, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Folks. I can't get over um, when you delve deep into film, the movies, uh, music, the whole entertainment field, Hollywood, and I've said this before, is a dark place. I think maybe any profession, if you dig deep enough, and I'm talking about the big companies, You dig deep enough and you're going to find some just nasty, disgusting uh, accusations, rumors, okay, that are quite disturbing and people don't want to talk about, but it's out there. And as much as you want to deny it and know it's out there, you go, okay, This stuff probably happens, (laughs) but I don't really want to talk about it. I don't want to learn about it. I don't want to know about it. And there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, the actor's room found out some information that I'm going to just put out there right off the bat just to get it out there and then continue on talking about this fabulous movie. And it is fabulous. The main reason why, among other reasons, that Crispin Glover cut ties with the whole franchise of Back to the Future and pretty much everybody that worked on that project is the information that he sort of uh, attained or had suspicions of while uh, being a part of this production. And he even wrote some essay I found out. This is, I found this out. I'm not kidding, folks. I read this essay that Crispin Glover wrote. I don't know what the fuck years. I, I, I don't know. It was like 2003, I think. I'm trying to erase it from my memory. Because, once again, 
This is information and uh, thoughts put on paper by someone, Crispin Glover in this context, relaying his thoughts, beliefs, whatever they are, about some pretty important people in the business. This guy's got some fucking balls. I'll give him that. If this information is somewhat true, that he's trying to profess, because first off, Crispin Glover's very strange, and I said that before. Uh, look at the guy. He's not all there, folks. He's not all there. Doesn't mean that he's crazy. I'm saying he's very eccentric, way out there guy. Um, how much do you believe Crispin Glover in what he says? I think that's a main focus in his essay. Folks, read the essay. It came out in 2003. I really don't want to go through it. I mean, I could read the whole thing. It would take about 20 minutes. It's not short, this essay. It's called, What Is It? And it pretty much, I'm just going to give you a brief summary. Uh, his essay talks about his disdain for Steven Spielberg. I'm going to come out and say it. He mentions Spielberg's name in the essay, I would say, at least 30 times. Okay? So I would say that, yeah, that has a lot to do with it. What the hell happened on that set? <laughs> what happened? What the... Uh, and obviously, something happened that turned Crispin Glover off. So much so that he completely cut ties with the whole franchise. Crispin Glover has stated that he has not seen Back to the Future since it premiered. Okay, I understand some actors, actresses... Uh, I don't know about uh, directors and stuff. They have to watch their stuff, I think. I think directors have to watch their stuff. (laughs) To get better in what they do, it might be a good idea to actually see the film. But actors, some, don't watch their stuff. Okay? Uh, Like a play, you're in a play. You can't really watch yourself unless they record it, I guess. But you do your role, and you move on with your life. It's done. It's over. I'm moving on to the next thing. I don't have to watch myself. Um, Crispin Glover, something happened on that set. Uh, I don't know what happened. Okay, And he makes assumptions or accusations maybe that the fact that uh, uh, Steven Spielberg is questionable in some way. <clears throat> and I, I don't want to say it. We'll have, if you want to find out about it, you go read the essay because I didn't know why. Crispin Glover completely, like, he didn't want anything to do with that franchise. And I'm thinking, why? I mean, yeah, he's, he's weird. Okay. Well, yeah. But why would you want to just completely sever ties to a successful uh, franchise like that? Because he wasn't in the second one, ladies and gentlemen. Crispin Glover was not. He had nothing to do with it. They asked him to be there, of course. They wanted every original uh, cast mate or cast <clears throat> whatever characters. God damn it. I can't talk. This stuff upsets me. Le- reading about 
the friction, what might have happened, what's really going on behind the scenes. I find it fascinating. I do love that gossip. It's juicy. It adds to my show, (laughs) which is good. You know, when I stumble upon things that I didn't know existed. Now, mind you, folks, I uh, listen to shows not associated with um, all movies and acting and things. I listen to other stuff because I'm just that kind of guy. I like to delve into uh, fun stuff, entertaining stuff, okay? And then I will be not, I don't know, entertained, but just interested in listening to shows that uh, bring up other subjects. And I told my brother that shows that I listened to years ago, and I'm talking years ago, would bring up how shady Kevin Spacey is. Okay? How shady some of these Hollywood stars are. And then having Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein uh, would you say uh, found out or exposed and these shows are like told you so I hear things and also being in the business I also know people that uh, are in the business they tell me stories I've now mind you personally I was only in New York City for like four years uh, studying doing most of that uh, in school I mean, I saw a few weird things at parties. But the other things that I've heard secondhand, things that I've never seen firsthand, I can't say. But I can only relate to you. that The things that friends of mine have seen, you just don't want to know about. And I'm talking about stuff that you've seen in movies. Like, people say that stuff actually happens. I've seen it. That's what they said. Not me. Not me. Thank God. And I would tell you, I don't bullshit you. I would tell you, if I saw something, I would tell you. And I haven't, folks. It's all like stuff I've heard. And although a big reason why I decided to stop acting is because of the stories I heard. Scared the shit out of me. I'm like, this is not for me. It's a a crazy world that uh, Hollywood... The entertainment business, and I think any business, really. The big stuff um, has dark places. And someone like Crispin Glover might have uh, got wind of something. Even a rumor. And sometimes, that's all it takes. He may not even seen anything firsthand. But just maybe had a feeling. Or he heard something. Or got a vibe. But whatever the case is, do your research on this. Look it up. Read the essay. Uh, Do your own research on Crispin Glover. What a guy. Damn it. I should do an episode or two on that son of a bitch. Obviously, he's got a lot to say. I only read that little bit. That essay. God only knows what else this guy has put out there. And I wonder to myself, why Crispin Sort of really isn't mainstream. I don't consider him mainstream. He's done films and and projects. Not bad. I looked at his resume. It's not bad. It's not great. After Back to the Future. And after his essay in 2003. 
That'll hurt your career. But I don't think he cares. He does movies that are just weird anyway. Have you ever seen Willard? Where he is like... (laughs) Talking? Get this. In the movie Willard. With Crispin Glover. He like communicates with rats. And whoa. He went deep with that one. I watched it on Sunday. Going on a Crispin Glover kick. What a guy. Talked about that probably too much. But I thought that was interesting. Because I always wondered why Crispin had nothing to do with that franchise. And there's got to be a reason why. Uh, Yeah, he disagreed with Zemeckis on this and that. That is common. If you do homework on very successful films, you will find friction between directors and actors. That's that's not a big story. Okay, that doesn't surprise me. There was more to it than that. Obviously, there's something he saw, something whatever it was. But a big part of this whole thing was the fact that I wanted to find that out. Went on and on and on about that. Might cut some of that stuff out. Whoa. (laughs) Wow. And since we're on Crispin, (laughs) we're on him. I'm going to go ahead. And the next thing I'm going to do is play a clip for you. In the film, between Crispin Glover, who plays George McFly, and his son Marty. Sitting at the table at lunch. Marty is sitting with his dad. In 1955. Talking about. George's passion. A very important part. Of this movie. The whole plot line. I think is centered around. The passion. Of George McFly. Marty. Remember that girl I introduced you to? Lorraine? What are you writing? Uh, stories. Science fiction stories about uh, visitors coming down to Earth from other planets. Get out of town. I didn't know you did anything creative. Uh, let me read some. Oh, no, 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 no. I never, I never let anybody read my stories. Why not? Well, what if they didn't like them? What if they told me I was no good? I guess it would be pretty hard for somebody to understand. Uh, no. No, not hard at all. So anyway, George. Now, Lorraine. She really likes you. She told me to tell you that she wants you to ask her to be a chairman under the sea dance. Really? Oh, yeah. All you gotta do is go over there and ask her. What, right here, right now in the cafeteria? What if she said no? I don't know if I could take that kind of a rejection. Besides, I think she'd rather go with somebody else. Ah, uh, who? Beth. That is... An important scene in the movie. If not, the most important scene in the movie to me. A scene we should talk about for just a few moments. And this is why. You have a son and father 
sitting right across from each other. Son and father, the same age. Whoa, mind fuck, right? Right. And you got the dad talking about his dreams, his passion that his son didn't know about. And although it is probably uh, very realistic for a 17-year-old not to know about his dad's dream, we don't look at our parents like that. Maybe even today, we don't. But our parents had dreams, aspirations that you probably have no idea what they are, what they were. These dreams that your parents had, okay, may have been within them forever. And they probably haven't even told anybody about it. Maybe some have. Maybe you do know about your parents' dreams. Maybe. Maybe not. And George McFly revealed his dream to his son at that point in time. Because it was available in that time. Because Marty went back in time. Well, a lot of time. Okay. Sorry. Just breaking a scene down and dissecting it in a way that you go, hmm, I've seen that scene. I've seen that scene. I hate that. Scene and scene. Two different words. (laughs) Different spellings. (laughs) But when you put it together real close like that, I hate that. And I've said that before. When I've seen this scene... When I watched this scene, how many times before? Uh, I didn't really get its true meaning until, God, you know me. (laughs) What, the 80th time I watched it? (laughs) I guess if you watch a movie uh, enough, you will get uh, pretty much every hidden meaning probably. You you should. Because you have it memorized. Like weird science I have memorized. Isn't that weird how I go on tangents like that? I go from a scene in Back to the Future and I talk about weird science. But getting back to that scene, um, deep, right? Your son finding out about your dreams by going back in time and talking, you know, <laughs> how interesting. And it ties into uh, the very end of the film, of course, because Marty ultimately changes his family. For the better. Uh, Something that Crispin Glover wasn't happy about. (laughs) Later on. (laughs) He confronted Zemeckis about that. Might as well talk about it now. Why the hell not? Because Crispin Glover is just a big part. Of this film. I'm finding out. Crispin was not happy. With the ending. And I'm going to tell you why. It's all about money. Robert. He's like, Bob, I think they called him Bob on the set. So it's all about money, huh, Bob? <laughs> and Bob Zemeckis said, what do you mean it's all about money? What are you talking about, Crispin? Yeah, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Crispin didn't get it. Well, this whole movie, the whole uh, meaning behind it, Marty goes back in time he, and changes things. And here we are in the present. And we all have better jobs. Okay. So that we make more money. Uh, Marty's got his truck. <laughs> Woo. Biff's outside uh, waxing the car. And you call him. I call him on the fact that 
He's got to put two coats on. Heaven forbid he doesn't put two coats on. And I guess in the original script, Biff was not supposed to be the one waxing the car. Get this. Zemeckis and Gale had the McFly family doing so well financially because, you know, George McFly just gave it to Biff and knocked him out. Boosted his confidence and now the family is well off. But living in the same house. Really? <laughs> I love poking holes in scripts. Because you you can't make the perfect script. You just can't do it. It's That would be nearly impossible. There's plot holes. You can poke holes in anything. Because think about it. They did that well financially. They'll be living in the same house. They just make it nicer. No, if they were doing that better financially, they would be living somewhere else. A better part of town, a bigger house. Because when Marty goes um, back into the present, he goes back to his original house that he was in in the other reality. How convenient. (laughs) But anyways, let's get back to uh, Biff waxing the car. It wasn't supposed to be Biff waxing the car in the original script. It was written in there that the McFly family had a black, uh, what we would call not a maid, but a butler or someone helping out. It was a black guy. Crispin pointed this out to Zemeckis. He goes, you keep that in there? And, you know, that's racist. That you Don't do that. That's a bad idea. I wouldn't do that. Isn't that something? And Bob Zemeckis said, you're probably right. Good idea. We'll just put Biff doing it. Which is better anyway. I love that part in the movie. Where Biff is waxing the car. <laughs> Crispin Glover. I didn't think it would be like this Crispin Glover fest. I knew that he was going to be a significant part of talking about Back to the Future. But I didn't quite know. He'd be a driving force in my second part. We touched on him lightly. In the first part. But we're at the meat of this so far. Is good old Crispin. And his middle name is Hellion. (laughs) We should be talking more about, you know, Michael J. Fox. We should be talking about, you know, Christopher Lloyd. And his just, what a performance. And I've talked about the personality Of Christopher Lloyd. He was just naturally that good. That was just. You know. uh, They call it improv. All the improvisation. Couldn't talk there for a second. I kind of burped too. Which. Just had dinner. It was good. I had salmon. And I know I'm revealing what I have for dinner. Because you care. Uh, We did. We grilled some salmon. Because it's a Saturday, you know, we grilled. It's a beautiful day here in Cleveland, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Cleveland, Ohio. 80 degrees, sunshine, slight wind. (laughs) Okay. Oh, gorgeous day. And we deserved it. Because it's been raining like nonstop since, I don't know, March. Feels like it. Things are getting flooded. 
There's like mudslides. No shit. My backyard has been flooded. All spring. All summer. There's, there's only a part of the backyard that I can mow. And I have to stop. Because if I don't, my lawnmower will like sink into the ground. But yeah. I had a little... <coughs> had a belch there. A little, little uh, burp. So that's why I messed up uh, the word. And I don't even know what the hell I was talking about. I think I was talking about Christopher Lloyd. I was. He is a prime example of an actor that does well with improv. They would say, doing the film, you would rehearse. Most films do this. You do a rehearsal before you shoot. It makes sense. Some directors don't. Most do. You take the script, you go over your lines, and some of the time the actors are just like blah, 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 with hardly any emotion. They're just reading the lines, you know, getting familiar with where they're going to stand, where they have to be, uh, where the scene takes place, get a little insight from the director, what does he want from me, and then, boom, you take a few moments, things get set up. Uh, Robert Zemeckis gets in place, makes sure all the cameras are in the right spots, makes sure the sun is in the right part of the sky. Oh my God. Marlon Brando, I want to bring up for just a moment, uh, directed only one film called One-Eyed Jacks. He was primarily an actor, Marlon Brando, but he directed one film, One-Eyed Jacks. That was his baby. He spent a great deal of time. It was a Western in like 1950-something. Might have been the 60s. Whatever. It was a while ago. Brando would wait all day until the perfect wave came in. And then he would shoot it. That's patience. Okay? Uh, Getting what you want. Stanley Kubrick, same thing. Took his time. Made sure things were perfect. Made the actors do the scenes over and over again. Until they just were probably at their wits end. We're done. But Stanley did it for a reason. And that was to get what he wanted. And a director like Robert Zemeckis, I'm sure, operated in the same way. You got got to make sure everything's perfect. Okay? And then once the cameras roll... You would see something from Christopher Lloyd as Doc Brown that would blow you away, they said. Like they couldn't. Um, Michael J. Fox said that he has never worked with an actor like that before or after Back to the Future. Christopher Lloyd's that good. An actor that has been on Taxi, uh, another association with Zemeckis doing uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's a Zemeckis film too. Um, Christopher Lloyd is talented. Um, uh, some, some actors just have that. That natural thing. You can't teach it. You can mold it. Craft it. Tweak it. Maybe. But you can't teach that. That special gift that God gave Christopher Lloyd... Thankfully, he was able to uh, 
decide to be an actor and give us this and show it to us. And you get that marvelous performance of Doc Brown. It is. It's memorable. I mean, how many other characters in film history were that eccentric and memorable? Not many. Not many. What, a handful? A handful. Doc Brown, Christopher Lloyd. Let's talk about Michael J. Fox as an actor. I highlighted him very early on in this show. An episode that I recommend. I'm very proud of that episode. And uh, to be quite honest, there aren't a lot of episodes I'm proud of in this show. It's progressed. I'm trying to get better. But some of my earlier shows, not many of them I... I'm very fond of because the quality isn't that good. My content was very iffy. Uh, Just the way I went about doing them, okay? I wasn't giving myself enough time, maybe. But they weren't that good. But there are a few that I will go back and even listen to and just go, wow, I can learn something from that. The Michael J. Fox episode is one of those. Please, I recommend that one. And another one that I hold very high is my Lawrence Olivier episode. Uh, George Carlin episode was very good. And one that like nobody listens to. People, check out Morgan Freeman. He was a great man. Was, is a great man. Uh, inspirational man. Morgan Freeman is great. Check out that episode. I love that one. So, yeah. The actor's room promoting. The actor's room. Go figure. What the fuck? Crazy. But back on uh, Michael J. Fox. I want to talk about his acting. When I saw Family Ties as a kid in the early 80s, mid 80s. He's just a fun guy to watch. He is. He's got that uh, spark plug personality. It's very rare. And the producer of Family Ties said that when he and the writers put in a joke for Marty McFly, Marty McFly, Keaton, Michael P. Keaton, when they gave him, uh, oh, he said when they gave him two jokes, he gave us five laughs. That's how good he was. And when Michael J. Fox doing Family Ties It was filmed in front of a live studio audience, which is rare, but shows back then, some of them did that. It was like a play, and they filmed it in front of live people. And Gary Goldberg, the producer, would pay attention to the audience to see the reaction of how good the show was going. And he said, when Michael J. Fox walked on the stage of Family Ties... He noticed that the audience would sit up in their seats. And when Michael J. Fox, as Alex P. Keaton, would exit stage left, walk out the door, he noticed the audience sat back in their seat. I think that's a great tidbit story. Very rare talent. Michael J. Fox. He took hold of Marty McFly. That character. And what Eric Stoltz couldn't do. 
with Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox flourished. He saved the film. He gave Robert Zemeckis, Bob Gale, and Steven Spielberg what they wanted. The freshness. The chemistry between Doc and Marty. The comic timing worked. They smiled. And guess what? We did too. I want to get a little bit into the plot. The whole time machine. uh, Going back in time. And if it makes sense. So let's briefly talk about that. We'll see if it's brief. I'm going to try to start briefly. 1985. And you have to hit 88 miles per hour. In the DeLorean. And once you hit 88. And it's got to be plutonium. Yeah, because if it's not plutonium in that real extra kick, you don't have the drama of, you know, what's it going to take? You know, because in 1955, you just can't get plutonium like you can in 1985, I guess. And that's what they did with the script. They had to make that drama. And the whole clock tower thing and making that work in the film and knowing that the clock tower is going to be struck by lightning and that's the force that you need to hit the flex capacitor to go back to the present or the future. Back to the future. And if you notice in the film, when Doc Brown, Christopher Lloyd, says it's going to take 1.21 gigawatts that is incorrect. It's gigawatts. They kept it in the movie because it's just, I don't know, it was funny. They knew it was wrong, but they kept it in the movie 1.21 gigawatts. And when they send the dog Einstein one minute into the future, I always thought, every time I watched it, it is definitely longer than one minute he's gone. And I did my research. It is. I knew it. And, you know, I'd watch the film and every time I see it, I go, I got to time this. One of these, you know, viewings, all, you know, 300 of them, I was thinking to myself, the next time I watch it, I'm going to time it. As soon as Einstein leaves and hits 88 miles per hour, I'm going to see if that's a minute. It just doesn't feel like a minute. It feels longer. And it was. It was a minute and 21 seconds. Did you see the connection there? 1.21 gigawatts. And it was 1 minute and 21 seconds that the machine was gone. Or Einstein was gone. Hmm. Did they do that on purpose? That's what I'm wondering. I think they did. Okay. The whole time traveling thing. When you go back in time. If you do. And you see your parents. Like. Think about it. it, It's a mind blowing. Just imagining it. Seeing your mom and dad. When they were 17. Is such a mind fuck. I can't even like. I've thought about it. Right. I've imagined it. Daydreamed about it. Like what I would do. I mean. I know where my parents went to high school. My dad went to Normandy and graduated in 70. 
And my mom went to Garfield Heights. And I think they graduated the same year. 70. I think. So I know where they were. I would just go find them. And of course, Marty finds them. Finds both of them. And in the process, starts fucking shit up, of course. And once you start that fucking shit up, like, that's a butterfly effect. Great movie, by the way. Ashton Kushner. Very clever film. And the same thing pertains to Back to the Future. Once you go back in time, and you are now an entity in the past, once you touch something or touch a life, like, it spreads and affects everything. Everything is going to be completely different now. Completely. And it is. And the only thing that I didn't understand, well, one of them, was, okay, Biff knocks out, I'm sorry, George McFly knocks out Biff and saves, I want to say Elaine. It's Lorraine. You fucking idiot. And saves Lorraine. George McFly saves Lorraine. She's getting raped, by the way. (laughs) She's being raped by Biff. Right? A lot of suggestive things in this movie that are just sort of like, oh yeah, you know, a 17-year-old kid is best friends with some, you know, 55-year-old scientist guy. That's normal, right? And, you know, (laughs) going back in time, making out with your mom, seeing, you know, your grandparents. Like, if I saw my grandparents when they were younger... I would be shitting my pants like, whoa, especially because I never met my grandmother on my mom's side. And if I saw her, I would, I wouldn't know what to do. Mari doesn't look that like impressed, like whatever. So I didn't really buy uh, Michael J. Fox's reaction to that scene. I could talk about this movie for six days, but I'm looking down. What do I got? That can't be right. Uh, I'm going to be right back. Holy shitballs. I'm back. Didn't even know I was gone, right? Well, I was. I'm looking down. I'm at 45 minutes here. Um, I think I can wrap this up. Because we could talk about tidbits. I mean, I got some tidbits here. Uh, the, the fact that Crispin Glover was very nervous about doing this. And would uh, lose his voice. And so there had to be a lot of uh, stuff done dubbed later on and placed. Because Crispin was so beside himself doing the movie that he lost his voice. I would do that. When I did plays in, uh, in Cleveland. Like theaters around Cleveland and in New York. I would. my This is what happens. I'm so pumped to do a performance that my immune system goes down. And I know this because it happens every time I do a production. I get sick every time. Every time I get sick. That is no coincidence. I get myself so worked up that I get sick and I lose part of my voice. And I get raspy and scratchy. Crispin Glover has the same condition. (laughs) I think I should call up Crispin. Wouldn't that be freaking awesome? I wonder if he's available. And what I mean by that. 
is that some actors are. You wouldn't believe it. I've reached out to a few, and they've gotten back to me. I'm not going to say who, because I, I listen to some of my episodes, and I notice I name drop. <laughs> and I feel really bad about that. Like, oh, yeah, just name dropping. Oh, big fucking deal. I don't like the whatever. But there are some actors out there that are available. Like, 3% of them. But they are. I wonder if there's a way uh, to talk to Crispin. And if I could set up some sort of a, uh, what do they call that? I hardly ever, ever do it. Were you uh, FaceTime? Or what's that other thing? I'm losing my thought. Where you can see the person and you talk to them. Like, I did an uh, interview with it. Skype? <laughs> I'm so bright. <laughs> I never use it, guys, girls, ladies, gents. I don't use Skype. I've used it like twice in my life. And Skype's been around for a long time. I just, I don't even think I have the app on my phone. I think I will put it on there if I need it. And then I just erase it. Because I don't use it. It is just taking up space on my phone. Anyway, I can use Skype. Wouldn't that be fantastic? I would love to talk to Crispin Glover. I'm going to try it. Why the fuck not? In the actor's room. We have to talk lightly. (laughs) We talked about the whole time travel thing. And, uh, all right, one more thing about the time travel thing. When Marty McFly says to himself, boy, I wish I had more time to reveal to Doc that he's going to be shot. Durr, you have a time machine. Of course you have more time. And he says that. Oh, I'll give myself 10 minutes. That should be enough. Moron. Not enough time. And of course it wasn't. 10 minutes? You have a time machine. Give yourself more than 10. Even like 13 would have been enough. I mean, he just misses it. You fucking moron. <laughs> and that's another thing too. Like he sees himself. There, like you're able to be like, there's two of you in the same time period. That's not possible. That's why I'm telling you. It's so impossible. To time travel. It's just impossible. I don't care. Throw at me all the black hole theories. Bullshit. It's just. It's not possible. Time is time. It's gone. You missed it. Can't go back. Sorry. Can't do it. The only entity. That can allow that to happen is God. Or the ultimate being can go. Okay. Maybe the entity can. But not humans. We'll never figure it out. No. It's just, it's not possible. It's a fascinating concept. And it makes for great film. But not possible. And before I end this episode of The Actor's Room, I want to give a little bit of my spin on the ending. When Marty comes back, And notices that his family is completely different. You know, his brother, uh, uh, Mark McClure plays his brother David, I think. David's wearing a tie. Instead of working at McDonald's, he now works in an office. And so is the sister, right? 
and they're all still living at home. Hmm. That's interesting because, huh, if you're working at McDonald's, right, uh, I can understand you're still living at home. That makes sense. But if you're working in an office and you look all important and shit, you probably got your own place. Yeah, I'm sure of it, actually. But for the movie, they have to write that in there that, okay, we got to show them in the same atmosphere, same setting, <laughs> make it work, make it all cute. And they do. I don't mean to rip because <laughs> I love the film. But when doing research and you know diving into a film, you find it's little inconsistencies. And you nitpick. I'm nitpicking. Because when you watch a movie so many times, you notice shit like this. You don't notice it when you watch it like twice. You just take it for what it is. Oh yeah, David and his sister, whatever the sister's name is, they still live at the house. Even though they're working in an office and probably could get a place of their own. They're not. They're still living in the house. The same house. But my theory on the ending is that when Marty sees his mom and dad come in through the back screen, uh, sliding door, they just come back from playing tennis. And of course, the mother isn't an alcoholic anymore. She's very happy with George. You know, he's a successful writer. He's uh, got his shit together. They look great. They just look fresh, (laughs) clean, confident. And his book shows up. And Biff brings in the book, and uh, he's a successful writer. But before that happens, there's a moment, a very brief one, between Marty McFly and George McFly. Just a very brief where George looks at Marty. And I believe that George McFly remembers Marty back in 1955, although it was only for a week or two. Marty played a significant role in George's life. They named their son Marty. Okay. That's a coincidence, but it happens. And George always remembered Marty. And deep down, either knows 100% or has a feeling that it was his son that did go back in time. And he knows that. I don't think he ever tells Marty about this. But I think deep down. George McFly. Knows. That Marty went back in time. And changed things. For the better. Made him a better man. A part of him. His offspring. Made him a better person. Thank you. For listening. To the actors room. My name is Jeff Tarowski. What a fun movie. A fun episode. Two-parter. A lot of information tucked into this episode. I don't know. Hopefully I'll get some comments on this episode. Because it was sort of all over the place. Different (laughs) things said here that uh, hopefully... I'm hoping that you go out there and do your own research. I don't want to spew my interpretation because someone may listen to me and go, oh, that's fact. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Because I watch documentaries and I used to do that. 
I'd watch a doc. And I'd take it word for word. Fact for fact. No, don't do it. I love docs. I've said it in the past. They're entertainment. Take it for what it is. Do your own homework. Research it yourself. If you want to, anyway. You just want to listen to my show, listen to me spout off about aspects of film, actors, acting, actresses, directors, writers, whatever the case is, and you enjoy listening to me talk about it, and then you take it and leave it at the door and move on with your life, great. Because the actor's room is just that. Entertainment, talking about different sorts of things. And this week was Back to the Future. So my point that I want to make is please don't take what I say word for word because they're my opinions and not necessarily fact. Do your own homework on it. It's fun to do that. I love reading up on stuff. When you watch a documentary, don't take it for what it is. Uh, it gets you interested in the topic and then take it a step further. Do uh, reading about the case or the situation, the occurrence, and get both sides of the situation. Weigh it, okay? And then come to your own conclusion. Uh, some examples are that Scott Peterson thing, uh, the staircase one with Michael Peterson, another Peterson. Uh, ladies, don't ever marry a man with the last name Peterson. That's a bad idea. Stay away from that. Uh, and uh, the Amanda Knox story. I still don't know about it. I currently am doing research on the Amanda Knox case. I don't know. She looks guilty to me. She comes across guilty. She's shady. But I don't know if there's enough for me to be convinced that she had anything to do with that whole thing. I don't want to get into it. Amanda Knox case. Wow. And there are documentaries about that. Uh, there's like a dozen of them. And you got to take them for what they are. Um, one-sided mostly in any sense, whether it's one or another, whether it's for her innocence or not. Uh, they're slanted. You got to meet somewhere in the middle with your opinion. But I uh, kind of am babbling here. I got to get downstairs. It's Saturday night. Hoping the family will maybe get together and play some cards. We do Uno because the kids enjoy it, you know, and uh, everybody just has a good time, relaxed. It's not that competitive, okay? Uh, so maybe tonight we'll play some cards. Hopefully you reach out, uh, get in touch with somebody, hang out. Call that special someone tonight maybe you haven't seen in a while. Give them a call. Do it. Uh, maybe there's someone in your life you haven't talked to in a long time. And miss them. Um, call them up. Text them. Reach out. Say, hey, haven't talked to you in a while. You want to get together tonight? Hopefully you're not busy. And if you are, what about next weekend? We'll set something up. Go to lunch. Something. Reach out. Uh, I got some distressing news yesterday uh, about someone that was very close to me um, in the entertainment business. And he lost his way. 
I found out yesterday, and uh, it's really affected me uh, very deeply. The business will do that to you if you're not careful and you're around the wrong people. And my heart goes out and my soul and just my being. And I'm praying for him every day. And we'll pray for him every day until I hear from him again. So, I try to lighten this up a little bit before I end it by saying, get together with whoever you can and enjoy life, okay? And let art be a part of your life as well. It should be. It uh, brings out emotion, feeling, and it it does for me. It, It makes me appreciate life that much more. It adds to life, just like your family does. You know, where would you be without your family? Think about that. Appreciate them. You know, they mean a lot to you, and you mean a lot to them. Go out, have a great night. Thank you for listening to the Actors Room, Back to the Future, and thank you for uh, being with me on this little journey. Um, It meant a lot to me, Back to the Future, my favorite movie. God bless you. Have a good one.